Yes, Lord, we do praise you. Who is like you? Oh, Lord, as we sing about your glorious, your holiness, your magnificence, your, your radiance, your perfection. And Lord, who is man that you are mindful of him? But Lord, we, we embrace the truth that, that you are mindful of us, that you, that you love us with a, a love that we can neither explain nor comprehend. Lord, we worship you for who you are. Lord, I, I do pray that as we sang those words, that we would understand what it is that we just sang, that it is our desire to worship you. All we want to do is worship you. I pray that is true in our lives, Lord, and not just for a few minutes on Sunday morning, but that our entire life is an act of worship for you, to you, for you alone are worthy. Lord, we thank you for this time, this place, Thank you for your holy and precious word. And as, Lord, we continue now our worship of you by studying your word, we ask, as we do every time, that you would move powerfully, that, Holy Spirit, you would have your way in us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Good morning. God bless you all today. Would you please take out your Bibles? If you don't have a Bible, forgot it. Maybe this is your first time at Calvary Chapel and you're like my first time when I ever walked into a Calvary Chapel. I was like, you mean you bring your Bibles to church? <laughs> yes, we do. It's God's living word. So would you please take it out? If you don't have one though, if there's a seat in front of you, there should be a black hardcover copy of the Bible there, God's word. Please take that out. Second Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, we continue our study through this second letter that Peter wrote to the early church, and as we've said each week, as we've been studying through chapter 1, this is very likely written at the very end of Peter's life, very close to probably days, weeks, no more than months away from his execution because of his faith, because of his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, and we're going to see today that his impassioned plea that has been for, for us as we've gone through chapter 1, for us to understand who we are in Christ and what we have because of this amazing relationship, the blessings and the grace and the promises that are ours. Not only that, but the responsibility that we have, the response that should be ours because of, of this relationship. And then the impassioned uh, plea that we understand what it is that we hold in our hands. This is God's very word, his truth. This isn't a bunch of man-made stories and fables as we talked about last week. This is the word of the very living God. But his, his plea, his passion, his sense of urgency now carries over as we, we see a shift in the letter. And again, I believe that this is because Peter again is saying, the end is near for me. I only have a few more opportunities, or this might be the last one for me to bring this truth to you. So today we see that there is a warning that he's bringing to the church. Again, we've talked about that he is talking to believers, going back to verse 1 of, of chapter 1, those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, Peter says. So he's talking to believers, but he's now giving a warning to believers, a warning to the church the church, the body of Christ. And we see now, as we pick up our study, chapter two, verse one, but, but, contrast, 
See a word like this, we have to see that what he, he's now changing gears, he, but he's directly comparing something, and it's what he's comparing to in the previous verse, the truth of God's word. The fact that it is not just man-made, that it's made up, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. He talked about true prophets bringing the true word of God, and he says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Verse 2 says, many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. Immediately, he draws a contrast from true prophets, true men of God, speaking the truth of God's word. And he says, there were false prophets then too that far outnumbered, by the way, the true prophets, that were bringing false statements, that were changing what, they, that what God said and, and changing it up and bringing a false statements to the people, not truth. And he says, comparing that, that's, that's what happened then, but don't, don't be asleep, guys. There are going to be false teachers among you who are going to do the same things. And he says, they're going to come from among you. They're going to come from around you. They're, 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 they're not going to look much different than you. And we see that. We see that even today as we continue, as we're going on about our daily lives. People will knock on your door. They'll walk up to you in the grocery store, and they will say, you know what? We basically believe the same thing you do, right? Have you heard that? You know, we're, 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 we're Christians too, we basically believe the same thing you do, but here's a pamphlet that'll help you understand what it is that you actually believe. And it says that they will secretly introduce. Secretly introduce. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, beware of the false prophets. Beware of those bringing these false things who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Secretly introducing Wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not going to just walk up to you and say, hi, I'm your friendly neighborhood wolf. <laughs> Secretly wearing sheep's clothing. And it's because, again, their entire goal is deception. To introduce false teaching, introduce destructive heresies. And that word heresies means a choosing. A choice must be made. It's a dividing introducing these things and, and, and giving us an alternative. Here you go. <laughs> we need to, to understand that they're out there and their desire, again, is to deceive. What's the difference between a, a, to, be, to be lied to and be deceived? Deception is believing the lie. Deception is going forward with it and following the lie. How can you tell? How can you tell a wolf from a sheep? Well, here's clue number one. Sheep don't eat sheep. Wolves do. <laughs> Wolves eat sheep. And, and they devour sheep by, again, changing the word of God. Changing what it says. Trying in an attempt to change what it means. But understand, understand, we, we're, in, we're in football season, right? Playoffs. Anybody going to watch the playoffs today? Football. Game. 
game that's, that entertains millions, right? But the game today is radically different than the way it was when it first started. Do you know when football first started, the forward pass was illegal? Can you imagine watching a football game where they didn't throw the ball ever? And so they changed the game because it, because it drew more people and it drew more excitement and all of this kind of stuff. Well, the problem is that false teachers do the same thing. In order to draw bigger crowds, in order to bring people in, they change things. They say, well, you know what? Since people have evolved and since we're different than they were back then, the Word of God has to change and evolve to keep up. Here's the big difference, guys. Football is a man-made game. This is the Word of God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Destructive heresies. They offer an alluring alternative to the truth. What they will bring is, is, is a truth that they call that respect, rejects actually aspects of the truth that are difficult, that are difficult for us intellectually and emotionally. Take, for instance, the, 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 the truth of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, yet one God. I can't, I can't explain that to you. I can't explain the, how that works perfectly. I just know that it works perfectly. and It's always been that way. It's the truth of God's word. But in an effort to appease those who struggle intellectually with this, many have changed. And those that even call themselves Christians change this to where the Holy Spirit isn't really God. It's just a force. That, that Jesus isn't really God. He's Lucifer's brother or whatever. And that there's the Father then, and there's this force, and then there's the Son, but there's only one God, and that's the Father. That's heresy. That's heresy. But it causes a choice. It causes a, a decision that needs to be made. And they do this, again, to offer things that are difficult, an alternative to those that are difficult, those things, those truths. One of the ones that is under attack more than anything, I think, today in the so-called church is the truth that there is sin in the world and there is a literal hell. Many, many places, many churches do not ever mention sin because it's offensive to some. They never talk about hell because they don't ever want people to think that there's actually a place like hell. But let me ask you a question. If you're trying to witness to somebody, if you're trying to bring the truth to them, and you don't talk about sin and hell, and you want them to be saved, what are you saving them from? How, how can somebody accept the truth if they don't understand the whole truth? Destructive heresies. Warren Wiersbe, I love the quote that he said, false teachers use our vocabulary, but not our dictionary. They use our words... As, as born-again believers, our words, the word of God, but they twist it and they change the meaning of it and therefore changing everything. He says here in verse 1, even to the point of denying the master who bought them. Understand clearly that that's bottom line what this is all about. Denying the master who bought them. If we change any aspect of who Jesus is in our theology and what we teach, we have denied him. Jesus said this very clear statement. You are either for me or against me. 
There's not a middle ground. There's not a, there's not a oh, I'll take certain aspects of Jesus because those are I, I like those, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take these other ones. And the biggest one is right there, the master. Because Jesus is our Lord and master. That word master is the Greek word despotes, which means absolute sovereign authority, period. You answer to him and him alone. And many say, I don't like that. I don't like that because that means I'm not calling the shots anymore. He is. So I'm going to change that aspect. And in so doing, they deny Jesus, the master who bought them. Again, we're going to get to the point. Master who bought them, that means that there's sin. What did he buy us from? Slavery to sin. He, he purchased us out of that. And again, that means I have to confess that I'm a sinner. And again, I don't want to do that because that means I'm going to have to give up what it is that I'm sinning in. Denying the master who bought them. Changing who he is. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Again, something difficult intellectually to, to understand, but it's the truth. If he's, not one, if he's not fully God and fully man, he couldn't die in your place and pay for your sin. So those things had to happen. Born of a virgin, as the word tells us. Lived a perfect, sinless life. Died in our place on the cross. Three days later, bodily, rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is returning for us. You change any of that, you deny the master who bought you. The scary thing is, Peter says a, a chilling truth in verse 2. Many will follow. Many will follow. And notice it says, many will follow their sensuality. This word is an important one as we continue our study today. That word sensuality is used three times in our text today. It means shameless sexual excess. It's a very clear word. It means an absence of all shame, total immorality. Now, it says, many will follow their sensuality. And I think as we look back at verse 2, he's saying, secretly introduce destructive heresies. So I don't believe what Peter is saying here is that they openly profess sexuality and that they're, they're doing immoral things sexually in front of other people as the pastors or as the false teachers. I do believe what he is saying here is that they are not exposing sin. They are not condemning sin. They are saying, hey, it's okay. It's okay. You live however you want. And in so doing, many follow that. Say, hey, I, don't, I can go on living this lifestyle. I can go on doing this and follow that. Many will follow that. Jude verse 4 says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude is saying the same thing Peter is. What they're doing is they're taking this grace, unmerited, unearned favor, the truth that grace is ours in Christ Jesus, and they throw it on the ground and they trample all over it by saying, because of grace, you can do whatever you want. Paul said, may that never be. May that thought never even enter our hearts. Many even boast about the fact that in their churches, they don't talk about sin. Boast about it. Guys, that's just bottom line. That's redefining what righteousness is. That's redefining what God's word says. Again, using our words, but not our definition. 
And it says, notice, Peter says, they will exploit you with false words. Exploit you. That means take advantage of you for their own personal gain. They're doing this for their own personal gain. False words. Now, we understand, when, when we speak of truth, we speak of the truth of God's word. We know Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we understand truth to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? That's what we have to take an oath to do if we are going to go into court and, and, and make a profession of something. We have to take an oath that not only will we tell the truth, but the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that's the problem. False teachers to exploit others will maybe take a portion of the truth, but not the whole truth. Or take a portion of the truth and mix in an absolute lie with it and therefore making it false. And Paul said, we used this verse last week, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, for the time will come when they, meaning people, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. There, there's an audience for this. People are saying, I want to be told that I'm good just the way I am, that I don't need to change anything about my life. I can just keep on doing this and that I'm okay. And I'm gonna go around until I find somebody that tells me that. And they don't have to go far anymore, unfortunately. You know, he tells us that, that this, this process brings destruction upon themselves and those who follow them. It brings destruction for the teachers and it brings destruction on those who follow them. We see this illustrated in 1 Kings chapter 22. You can read the story later. I'll give you a real quick rundown of it. King Ahab, king of the northern tribes of Israel, going to war. And this is at a time in the history of the, the Jewish people where the northern tribes and the th southern tribes were actually getting along. So he gets a hold of Jehoshaphat, the king of the southern tribes. And he says, hey, I'm going to war. Would you come join me? So Jehoshaphat comes up to meet him, and they're going to talk about this. Jehoshaphat asks him, hey, did you get counsel from anybody on this? And Ahab says, oh, yeah. Yeah, I got my guys right over here. Just ask them. And they're like, yeah, Ahab, you go right on. You're, nobody can stop you, man. You're invincible. You just go right on ahead. And Jehoshaphat looks and he says, um, is there any godly prophets in Israel that we can go, that will actually go and ask God whether we should go forward or not? And you know what Ahab's response was? He said, yeah, there's one guy, but he never says anything good about me. <laughs> there's, this, there's this Micaiah but he always says bad stuff about me. So I didn't go to him. And Jehoshaphat insisted. So they bring Micaiah, and he comes, and, and he meets with them, and his first reaction is sarcastic. Yeah, Ahab, hey, you just go right on ahead. And, and Ahab goes, see, see, I told you. He never has anything good to say about me. He's being sarcastic, and then he comes with the truth. He said, you go into battle, you're going to die in battle, and your people are going to be scattered. And Ahab goes, just like I thought. But they decide to go into battle anyway. 
And Ahab says, you know what, I'm going to fix this guy. And he goes to Jehoshaphat and he says, all right, here's the deal. We're going to go into battle. You dress up like the king, okay? You're, you're a king. You go ahead and dress up wearing all your stuff. You ride out in that chariot. I'm going to dress like some of the other guys so I can blend in. And amazingly, beyond my comprehension, Jehoshaphat agreed to that plan. And he goes out, and, and sure enough, the enemy sees the king, and they said, there he is, there's Ahab, go get him. And so they go chasing after him, realize it's not Ahab, so they turn around and come back. And it tells us that a, 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 an enemy soldier takes, draws back his bow, shoots an arrow up in the air, comes down, and it pierces Ahab in the only spot in his armor he was vulnerable. He died in his chariot. Destruction. The people were scattered. Their king is dead. Just like Micaiah said. But in, but in an effort to avoid the truth, we're going to gather together people that tell us what we want to hear, bringing destruction, not only to themselves, but to the followers. Well, verse, verse 4, Peter continues, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell... And committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter... And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Verse 9 says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Peter, in these verses, draws us back to the fact that God, in his holiness, this holy God that we serve, this holy, almighty God is a God of love, is a God of mercy, is a God of grace, yes. But he is also a God of righteousness and justice. He can't let sin just go. He can't wink at it. He can't turn his eye away from it and pretend it's not there. The world seems to expect that God should do this. But Ask, put, put anybody in this situation. Their entire family is brutally murdered by one man. And this one man comes to trial. And he stands before the judge and he says, all right, judge, you got me. I got, all of the evidence proves I did it. You got me. But for the most part, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, it's not like I kill everybody. And, you know, I, I go to work, I, I earn a living, I, I even donate money to charity. I, 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 you know what, just last week I helped an old lady across the street. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good guy. And you know what, judge, I promise I'll never do it again. And if the judge then says, you know what, I believe you, go on, go free. Is that justice? Would we be outraged by that? Absolutely, of course we would. 
especially if it's our own family. We would be outraged by that, yet somehow we expect God to be different. That we can, we can do whatever we want to do and go violently against God's perfect law and somehow expect him to turn away and say it's all okay. God's word clearly tells us what sin is. And he clearly tells us what the wages, the penalty of sin is. The wages of sin is death. And as we look at this, t- the text here, ver- verse 4 through, through 10 is basic. It is one verse, one sentence in the original Greek. One long sentence. And he gives us two examples in this sentence of God's, God's grace towards those that follow him, but the judgment to those who don't. He gives us first the judgment of the world in the days of Noah. Genesis 6-5 tells us that every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Just totally debased, totally going against everything that, that is right and pure and holy. Living all for themselves, totally indulging themselves in everything. That was the thoughts of, of man at the time. God decided he's going to destroy mankind with a flood, but he saves Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives in the ark. But judgment was brought upon the sinful people. He also gives us the the story of the judgment that was brought on Sodom and Gomorrah. And in this again, we see God's grace because he didn't send the destruction to Sodom and Gomorrah until Lot and his wife and his two daughters were outside of the city. But judgment came upon the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And here we, we, can, we, we see a shadow of some of the things that are going on today. I have actually heard it taught, heard it myself taught, that the judgment was brought on Sodom and Gomorrah because of their unwillingness to be hospitable to the angels that came. Really? Obviously, these people didn't read 2 Peter chapter 2 because it tells us right here in the text why Sodom and Gomorrah was judged. It says in verse 7, the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. Sensual, we defined that above. We talked about that before. All of the, the activity just totally given in to sexual depravity. But it says, not only the conduct of unprincipled men, that means those that gratify their lusts regardless of what the law says. They don't care at all what the law says. Not only physical law, but the laws of nature. They don't care at all about that. They're going to gratify their own lusts. That's why Sodom and Gomorrah was judged. Because of sexual sin. And specifically, homosexuality. In a gathering like this this morning, I am sure that there are probably more than one, a few, that, are, that fall into this category. Either you are involved in a homosexual relationship or you know somebody who is close to you, family member. I'm here to tell you this morning that those who tell you that it's okay You just keep living that way. It's all okay. God accepts you just the way you are that way. You don't have to to make a change. We we love you. We just come on in. I'm telling you here, they are not your friends. 
they do not love you. Confession time. I like to get emails that tell me you like me. I like to get emails that say, hey, I, I really agree with what, with what you're saying. But I know, I know that I'm going to get emails this week coming after me for what I just said. I, it's happened every time I've ever done it. And if you, if you want to send me an email on that, my email is alan, A-L-A-N, at ccsurprise.org. But seriously, please, please hear me. Please hear my heart in this. I'm telling you this because I do love you. Those that tell you it's okay that you can continue on in that lifestyle are exploiting you. They are taking advantage of you. They are doing it for their own personal gain. They're doing it so they can sell books. They can have huge congregations because they're scared that if they say the truth of what God is that you won't come back. Well, I love you too much. I'll take that risk because the word of God. There are those out there that say, you know what, in the end, love wins and, and we're all going to go to heaven and, and everything's going to be okay. Guys, that's not what God's word says. Yes, love wins, but, but those who reject God's truth will face eternity in hell facing judgment, not his love. There are those that will tell you, you know what, you were born that way, so you can go ahead and live that way. Well, I'm here to tell you that everyone, every single person in this room, every single person, every one of us, was born with a sinful nature. Every one of us. And it was not God's fault. It was ours. We have done that. We have chosen to rebel against a holy and righteous God. God, and this is the amazing thing again about how awesome our God is. He knew it. Yes, he created us. Yes, he knew everything about us. He knew the choices we were going to make, yet he chose to create us anyway and give us a choice. Our choice is we can either obey him and love him, or we can reject him and hate him. That's the choice. Not only a choice, though, he gave us a savior. He gave us his only begotten son. Again, God himself, Jesus, stepped out of heaven he became one of us. He lived a perfect life. He died on our place, on the cross, so that we can turn from our sin and turn to him. Amazing. Paul, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? God's word says this clearly. If we don't proclaim God's truth, is that love? No. Paul is saying that 
if the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, that means you will spend eternity in hell. He says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. I want to point out to you here that he's not just calling out homosexuality here. He says fornication. That is any sexual relationship outside of the bounds of marriage. So if you are here today or you are listening to this and you are involved in a sexual relationship with someone you are not married to, if you are living together and not married and in a sexual relationship, you are outside of the will of God, it is sin. It says adultery. If you are involved in any relationship outside of your marriage, any relationship sexually, you are outside of the will of God and it is sin. That's not all he lists. He gives us a list here in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Also in Galatians chapter 5, he speaks of the deeds of the flesh. If we gratify our flesh and ignore the spirit, if that is our lifestyle, we are outside of the will of God and it is sin. We are called to examine ourselves. And guys, quite frankly, honestly, it's my business to tell you what the word of God says. It's your business what you do with it. But I can't do anything but tell you the truth. But praise God. In our, in our text that we just looked at in 1 Corinthians, God is holy, yes. He's just, yes. But he's also the justifier, he knew us before we were created. He knew that we needed him to, to suffer and die in our place. He's a long-suffering God. He's still waiting for us, some of us. Still waiting for you today if you've never given your life to him. He's still patient with you. You're still breathing. He's full of love. So much love that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 9 in our, in our text here, I, I, the Lord knows how to judge, yes, but he knows how to differentiate those who, who deserve judgment because they are in their sin and they are willingly in their sin and those who deserve eternal life, not because of anything they've done, but simply because they fall on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross. He's the justifier to the broken-hearted sinner, but he's the judge to the hard-hearted and the hypocrite. God, God is calling us to repentance, and then he's calling us to live a godly life. But the, the false teachers, if we verse 10, they're the ones that they, they say it's okay. It's okay. You just keep living that way. Indulge your flesh. No problem. They despise authority. And I believe he's speaking of the authority of God's word. That, that they say, you know what, if God says that, we're going to make our own God and follow that. We're going to change what it says so that we have a different God to follow. They're bold in their sinfulness. They flaunt it. 
Isaiah 5.18 says, Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood and sin as with cart ropes, dragging it around, openly stating these things. Verse 12 says, But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct, to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. They're speaking evil against God's word, but what what Peter is saying is they don't understand God's word. They don't understand grace. They don't understand sin. Understand that sin, it's not bad because it's sin. It's sin because it's bad. God didn't take a whole bunch of things and says, oh, these are the fun ones, I'm gonna make these against the rules. He said, no, these are the things that will cause destruction. So that's why it's sin. They don't understand it. They're ignorant of it, so they they revile against it. He said, like unreasoning animals, unreasoning animals, following your animal instincts. Go ahead. It's okay because, after all, we're just evolved from animals anyway, right? Right? I mean, we're all animals. Go ahead and act like one. Now, see, the truth of God's word, it tells us that we are not the result of animals. We weren't created from animals. We were created in God's image. We're not to act like animals because that's where we came from. We're to act like God because that's where we came from. And it also, it also says that we were given dominion over the animals. Again, not to act like them. Verse 13, suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they arouse or carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. Continuing on a description of these false prophets, these false teachers, but then he gives a description or a comparison of who they're like. And he uses the the man Balaam, the prophet Balaam, a prophet for hire, in the Old Testament. You can read the whole story in Numbers 22 and 23. But bottom line is, Balaam was, was a prophet. But he went to the highest bidder. And one particular time, he was going to, as, as he was called, and they actually were calling him to, ca- to cast a, a curse on the people of Israel. And on his way there, he's riding along on his donkey. And an angel of the Lord appears before the donkey, holding a sword. And the donkey sees him. Balaam doesn't. Donkey sees, donkey stops. Balaam gets off the donkey and starts beating the donkey because he won't go. The donkey eventually lays down the third time. He's there beating the donkey and everything, and God opened the donkey's mouth. And the donkey said, dude, what are you beating me for? What are you hitting me for? Haven't I always carried your burden? Haven't I always been good to you? And now you're beating me up. And the weird thing is, Balaam starts talking back to him. And they get into this this argument. And the funny thing is, Balaam loses the argument with a donkey. And he eventually sees the angel. 
And it does tell us that, that he gets there to the, the, the king that had summoned him, and he couldn't speak a curse against the people. He could only speak blessing. God overruled what he wanted to do for the money. But unfortunately, and again, we'll move on from here, sad ending to the story. Balaam couldn't pronounce a curse, but he told the king, here's what you do. Send your ladies down there. The men of Israel will fall in love with your women. Then you can introduce idolatry there. And Sure enough. Well, bottom line, what Peter is saying is these false teachers, again, they're in it for themselves. They tell you they love you. They tell you that they're here for you. They tell you, hey, welcome, come on, be a part of this. Everybody's welcome, sure. Come on, come on. And they're in it for themselves. Verse 17 says, these are springs without water. They, they appear to have something refreshing to offer, but, but they're a mirage. It's an illusion. Mists driven by a storm. I, I kind of like this. I get the picture here. You know, Phoenix, we can understand that, right? Mists driven by a storm. Summertime, look out there. Hey, the, the, the rain's coming. I can see it. It's going to be here. Boy, tomorrow we're going to wake up and to six inches of dirt on our car and about, you know, two or three drops. <laughs> Promising rain, but delivering wind and dirt and drought. <laughs> For whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. They promise freedom. You can come here and you can have all the freedom you want. But bottom line is, all they're doing is, is giving them more bondage, bondage to sin, deeper and deeper in sin. Jesus said in John 8, verse 34, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. These false teachers offer freedom, but they only deliver more bondage. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come to Jesus, and you have true freedom. Freedom from the penalty of sin because he took it all on the cross, but also freedom from the power of sin because he gives us the Holy Spirit within us. Verse 20 for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandments handed on to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire." Some people point to this section here and say, here is proof that even a born-again believer can fall away and be lost again. I don't believe that's at all what Peter is saying. Not, not even a bit. Remember back in verse 12, he's talking about unreasoning animals, right? Well, here he gives us two examples, dogs and pigs. What, he, what, what, it, what to me is, is clear in what the text is saying here is there's some dogs that escaped from the wild pack. 
there's a couple of pigs that got out of the pig pen, and they got washed up for a little while and started milling around amongst, amongst the Christians, amongst the true born-again believers. But notice something, they never really changed. They're still dogs and pigs. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, a new thing has come. A new creation. You're not a dog or a pig anymore. That's dead. It tells us in verses 20 and 21 here that they, they spe it speaks here of them gaining knowledge. Yes, they, got, they gained knowledge intellectually, even experientially, but not transformationally. They never changed. For a little bit of time, they were able to conduct themselves amongst the sheep, by the way. That's what we change into. <laughs> they're able to, 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 to conduct themselves in a manner that they even look like sheep, but they're not sheep. They just know how to dress like one. But they eventually return to their own ways. They as a dog returns to its own vomit, a pig to its filthy pigsty. Now, I know maybe when you came in today, you noticed that we're going to celebrate communion today. And maybe you're asking yourself the question that I asked earlier in this week, how am I going to transition from a dog's vomit to communion? <laughs> but as I look back at verses 20 through 22 that we just said, notice it says they have escaped the defilement. It would be better for them not to have known the way. Back at the beginning, in all of chapter 1, he was talking about you, you, true born-again believer. He's making a, a clear distinction, a clear separation here. Guys, this section here that we've just gone through, even though it's, very, it's been very difficult to, to navigate through, it is an amazing promise for us again as believers. Verse 9 tells us he knows how to differentiate and rescue those that are his. There's amazing security for the true born-again believer. If you have truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, there's amazing security in that. We're no longer dogs or pigs. Again, we're sheep. We're, we're lambs. <laughs> and listen to what Jesus says about his sheep in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Guys, that's glorious. As born-again believers, we have eternal life. We will never perish, and nothing can take us out of our shepherd's hand. Nothing. That's glorious. That's awesome. That is worth celebrating. Now, this, is, this has been a tough section. Chapter 2 of 2 Peter is a tough section to read. It's a tough section to teach, and I know it's a tough section to listen to, and I thank you for listening. And if you're here today and you are in a lifestyle of sin and the Holy Spirit has been moving on you, 
has been touching your heart, I have fantastic news for you. You are this close. <laughs> you, are, you have a decision to make right now. Jesus is offering you right here, right now, freedom, eternal life, forgiveness, forgiveness. But a choice needs to be made. And, and you need to respond to the Holy Spirit right now in your heart. And you need to first confess. Confessing your sin means that you agree with God that it's wrong. That you understand that you've been lied to to this point. That you've been living a lie. That you have been deceived, but no more. You say, God, I believe your word. And I know and I admit that my lifestyle does not line up with what you would have for me. I confess my sin. But the second step is repentance. That means to turn now from that sin, turn now from that lifestyle, and you turn to Jesus. And you say, well, I can't. I can't leave this lifestyle. I've tried. I can't get away. I've tried and I keep going back. Hear me. When you place your faith and your trust in Jesus, you totally surrender to him. Make him Lord of your life. He gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives you what you need. And after the service, I would ask if, the, if anyone here is in that and wants to do this today, please come forward. We will have pastors up front here. We'll have elders. We have prayer counselors up here. We will give you the tools and the prayer, and we will come alongside you and walk with you through this because you can have victory. And you, you, the repentance, you turn, you, you now receive the free gift. It's free. He paid for it. He paid for it all. All of it. Now, for those of us in the room that are born-again believers, truly have trusted the Lord Jesus with our, with, our very, with our very souls, we've made him Lord. This is a warning for us. This is, this is a challenge for us. Guys, the enemy is not laying dormant. He's active. And we need to be on the offensive. Pray for boldness. If you love your neighbors, if you love your friends, if you love your family that are in those lifestyles of sin, you need to be bold enough to tell them. You're not their friend by not telling them. Guys, also, we need to know the truth of God's word so well that we can spot the fake a mile away. That's why we need to be in it. We need to be studying it. We need to know it. So, as we now prepare our hearts for this meal that our Lord calls us together to share, let's go before him in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are, as always, coming away from spending time in your word, amazed by you. Lord, we, we are blown away by your love your grace. Your word tells us that while we were still yet in our sin, you died for us. Lord, I, I personally, I can't understand that. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around that love, but oh Lord, I embrace it with all that I have. And I pray that everyone here today does. Lord, we thank you 
We thank you for, for calling us out of the sin, calling us out of the life that we were living to have this new life in you. We thank you for washing us, for sanctifying us, for justifying us. Lord Jesus, we give you all the praise and honor and glory. In your name we pray, amen.